Welcome to This Is Not About Your Body, where we talk about all the real shit body image issues are actually about because they're never just about the way you look. I'm your host, Jesse Neeland, and today I'm doing a solo episode to talk about a question that comes up a lot in my coaching practice, uh, especially from clients who know that they technically check a lot of the boxes for being conventionally attractive, but still struggle with intense body anxiety, uh, body negativity, hatred, and dysmorphia. And in the beginning of starting something like an anti-diet journey, intuitive eating, or even just body neutrality, it can feel terrifying and even impossible for people in that boat because they know that those paths might end up costing them some of the beauty or body privilege that they have. And since they're already distressed about not having enough, the thought of having even less can feel like a death sentence. So if you relate to this, you might find yourself worrying about how much worse you would feel about yourself or how much worse your body images issues would be if you gained weight, gave up makeup, stopped dressing to flatter your body type, etc. Um, and it can feel like the beauty is what the world is made of, right? It's what makes the world go round and we're each personally responsible for looking as good as possible, which is to say as close to conventional beauty and body ideals as possible in order to make people treat us with kindness and respect. So the question that I get asked a lot is, is it even possible to feel confident, safe, powerful, or good about yourself without looking attractive? And maybe more to the point, the question I think is, how is it possible that some people who don't fit conventional beauty and body ideals still seem able to feel confident, safe, or good about themselves? So we're going to dive into that today. Um, and I want to start by just saying that people with a certain amount of beauty and body privilege have often learned to take their sense of value and worth and confidence um, from their appearance. So this would be like people who grew up conventionally, uh, cute kids who became, you know, pretty teenagers who became attractive adults, right? These are going to be a lot of the people who get tons of positive attention for how they look. And this is one of the reasons I am so passionate about not complimenting people on their appearance. It's so harmful, not because in that moment you're making the person feel bad like you would if you were shaming someone for their appearance or criticizing their appearance, but because it teaches them, this is what I like about you. This is what you have a value to me. I love the way you look, therefore I love you. These things are linked. It teaches people to uh, become really, really obsessed with how they look, to feel either hyper-focused on like optimizing their appearance uh, to look as good as possible or to be hyper-vigilant about looking out for possible threats to their status, which would be like, you know, a lot of body image issues is sort of the preoccupation or anxiety, like constantly body checking, constantly looking for, you know, signs of danger to their sense of, worth and status in the world, their sense of value to other people. So for people in that situation, it can often feel like all the good things in their life, all of the love and acceptance and belonging and uh, everything that they have, it can feel like those things are the result of how they look. And they become terrified a lot of times of losing their looks due to aging, weight gain, injury, illness, whatever, because it feels to them like this is what people like about me. This is why I'm okay. This is why my life is okay. Even if they don't 
feel super satisfied with everything they've got, even if they don't like the way they look at all, there is a sense that everything would come crashing down around them if they lost the one thing they seem to have of value to other people, which is being conventionally attractive. So in order to have this conversation, we have to talk about what beauty and body privilege means. So beauty and body privilege, like any privilege, in terms of systems of power, hierarchies in society, systemic, privileged, and oppressed people, um, beauty and body privilege is basically just about avoiding the negative consequences of discrimination, marginalization, all of the obstacles that face people who don't fit conventional beauty and body ideals. Privilege is sort of the not having those obstacles based on how you look. You can still have those obstacles for any number of reasons because privilege is multifaceted and intersectional and totally depends on your other factors of identity. But a lot of beauty and body privilege is going to basically mean that you can move through the world without being discriminated against for how you look, for the shape or size of your body, for your appearance, for whatever. That said... That's like the avoidance of the negative aspect of what privilege is. There is also a lot of um, advantaging of people who fit certain conventional beauty and body ideals. So we're also looking at like the benefits that a person might gain if they are close enough to the top of this body and beauty hierarchy in society that says, you know, you're good and more valuable and worthy of respect and inclusion if you look a certain way. So people who are conventionally attractive statistically are more likely to uh, have access to opportunities, uh, accessibility, inclusion, kindness, resources, uh, income, uh, quality health care, all of these things. It, it's like opportunities open up for you when you are above a certain level of conventional uh, beauty and below a certain level, I mean, it's, you know, a sliding scale here, but below a certain level, not only do you not get that sort of celebrated status where everybody just treats you well and opens doors for you, but you're also facing discrimination and violence and disrespect and all kinds of other issues. So that is the kind of um, hierarchy that we're looking at. It's very real. Statistically speaking, it doesn't mean that every conventionally attractive person is always going to have people be nice to them and make a lot of money or anything like that. And it certainly doesn't mean that being not attractive or not checking enough of these boxes is going to completely screw you over and mean that everyone will be awful to you. But statistically, it does have a major impact on the opportunities that are going to be available for you, the way people view you and the assumptions they make about you and, uh, you know, basically the treatment you end up getting. So that is a very real background, an important background to recognize when we're talking about beauty and body ideals because, of course, people don't want to be oppressed or marginalized or deal with disrespect. So, of course, we learn that it's up to us to look a certain way in order to avoid it. Also, everybody wants respect and kindness and opportunities. So, of course, we learn it's our job to go and get those things by making ourselves, by conforming to these ideals and making ourselves as, quote unquote, attractive as possible. So, obviously, a lot of this privilege 
comes from factors that are completely outside of our control, right? Like there is a huge amount of genetics at play when we're talking about things like, you know, bone structure or your um, weight set point, meaning where your body would naturally want to be in terms of how much you weigh. Um, there's a lot about it, I would say, especially when we're talking about uh, kids who are growing up and getting a lot of this positive attention for how they look before they are introduced to the more teenagery or adulty world of beauty labor it's mostly just stuff outside their control right like most kids are not going around making themselves adorable they just either are or are not according to society's ideals for what makes a kid adorable so but later on though there is a lot of this beauty and body privilege that comes from things we do. So the genetics are going to be there. But then a lot of it comes from what I call like beauty or body labor. So for example, dieting, that's labor, right? If you are dieting or exercising to maintain a certain aesthetic appearance in your body, um, then you are doing work. You are, you are attempting anyway. You are attempting to um, improve your status or increase your beauty and body privilege by making by conforming closer to the ideals and making other people see you a certain way. Um, and this goes for things like hair, makeup, how we dress, you know, everything like nails and uh, skincare uh, products and procedures and a lot of the self-care and wellness habits and things like that that we learn to do <laughs> as we get older and uh, people want to sell us stuff and based on our insecurities. The purpose of this labor, some of it can just be how you want to express yourself. Some of it just feels good. I'm not trying to like say everything is about this, but a lot of the purpose of this labor for a lot of people is to increase their social status and privilege levels by conforming to this, the conventional beauty and body ideals that are celebrated in our culture. So they're kind of trying to like climb up a bit higher on the hierarchy, either to escape marginalization, to protect themselves from the negative consequences of being at the bottom of this hierarchy, or to gain social capital. So to um, make it more accessible for them to gain the privileges and advantages of being at the top of the hierarchy. Now, beauty and body ideals are completely gendered. So this labor is gendered as well. Um, you know, men have things that they can do and depending on the circles you run in and the generation you were part of and all that stuff, um, certainly some men take on more of this labor, but m most of the labor that I'm talking about really does fall to women or AFAB people, assigned female at birth people, who are expected to present themselves in accordance with the feminine ideal. So men have to sort of present themselves in accordance with the masculine ideal, but they don't necessarily have as much uh, labor that is required of them in the same way that women do because, you know, we kind of are given all of the options of like hair and makeup and fashion and skincare and procedures like that. It's just a totally different situation. We have a lot more to choose from whether or not we choose it. It's there and we know it's there. So... Uh, it's also probably important to note here that these ideals of what's conventionally attractive, it goes beyond just the aesthetic of like hair, makeup, clothing, body stuff. And it also includes things like personality and energy, the way you present yourself in all these different ways. So for example, a lot of women will pitch their voices up in order to come off as more feminine or more likable, less intimidating. Um, 
prettier, cuter, however, right? Uh, whereas a lot of men might feel the opposite urge to pitch their voices down and come off as really masculine. A lot of girls are going to be like up here and, you know, sort of resonating their voice in different parts of their face so that it has, a, it, it comes off a certain way, you know? So a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, it's posture, it's the way we move, it's uh, facial expressions, it's our behavior. There's a lot that goes into what makes a person considered attractive according to this hierarchy. Um, and I think what's really interesting about this conversation is that a lot of women will tell me that looking good, again, meeting these sort of conforming to these ideals in some way, makes them feel powerful. And I think that's really important because when we're talking about why it might be okay to not have as much beauty or body privilege, like how you could still feel good about yourself under those circumstances, we have to acknowledge what we mean by feeling powerful. And a lot of times the, the word powerful here just stands in for a feeling of agency, um, safety, agency, freedom, and like the empowered sense that you can do what you want and people will, you know, uh, generally respond well. So looking good, according to social rules, makes people often feel more deserving of good things and less afraid of bad things happening to them or less um, ashamed that maybe they deserve bad things. So they give themselves more permission to do and be what they want, which feels great. It feels very empowering. Um, but there's two parts to this because one is internal and that's the permission and one is external. That's the social capital and privilege, basically how other people treat you versus how you <laughs> treat yourself and show up. So permission is about agency. And a lot of times the rules and restrictions that we follow that make us feel disempowered or like we can't do certain things really restricted or limited or uh, obligated, those restrictions and rules are self-imposed. And they're based on the social idea that some people are more deserving of good things than others based on how they look, but it's internal. So you might think of an example for this as like somebody who doesn't feel comfortable dating yet or going traveling or asking for a raise or whatever because they're waiting until they lose weight and feel more confident. So that would be like a self-imposed restriction where they don't give themselves the permission to have the agency or do what they want in the world, to go after what they want and need because they don't feel that they deserve it yet or they don't feel that they are worthy of it yet. So it will end up feeling very anxiety provoking to feel like you can't do these things and you're just stuck and it's going to bring up tons of negativity and uh, resentment and fear and shame and all kinds of stuff. But at that point, it's just about the permission you're giving yourself. And permission and agency can be cultivated no matter how you look in anybody. It, it gets way easier with practice and it's so empowering when you start breaking these rules and restrictions, you realize they were self-imposed. You realize you actually can do a lot of the stuff you told yourself you couldn't do in the body you have now. That you don't actually have to wait or change how you look in order to do what you want and have that agency and permission. The other aspect of this, the social capital and privilege is about access to, like I said, the statistical access to opportunities, inclusion, autonomy, safety, etc. And it is very natural that we want to have as many doors open as possible at all times because we are innately wired to crave freedom. <laughs> we do not like to be oppressed, of course. It's very natural and very normal that we would 
want to escape oppression, want to avoid being um, treated poorly or oppressed or, you know, um, put in danger. However, the personal responsibility narrative here is often what makes that feel so important. And it's what's so dangerous and damaging. Because the personal responsibility narrative basically says that it's your fault how other people treat you. Like it's your responsibility how other people treat you and see you. Therefore, it's your fault if they treat you badly. And it's your fault if you didn't do everything in your power to open those doors or make people respect you or whatever. So it makes it your fault when people disrespect you or cause harm. And therefore... It puts a completely inappropriate and overwhelming amount of pressure on you to do everything right, to fit all of the ideals, to do all of the beauty and body labor or whatever, to make people be nice to you and treat you with respect. So it's the personal responsibility narrative here that is what often causes people the most harm. Yes, the um, systemic oppression is real. Yes, people who don't fit these norms. And by the way, beauty and body ideals touch on every other hierarchy, pretty much every other system of ingrained oppression that we have, like racism and ableism and transphobia or homophobia. Like it, it touches on all of them. And therefore, it makes it your fault if you're being marginalized or oppressed, if people are hurting or disrespecting you. Um, that is your fault. So that is a completely dangerous, completely inappropriate narrative. And that's the one that causes most, most of the harm in, ter in terms of how we like hold ourselves and move through the world. I also want to acknowledge that there's a darker aspect to this power, which is basically like when people say that, you know, like putting on a glam face, doing my hair, rocking a sexy dress and heels, whatever, makes me feel so powerful. In some ways, we're really talking about feeling like you have power over other people. We're talking about dominance. So there is, of course, like a little bit of social dominance in that, just in general. You know that if you walk into a room looking like that, that most likely like other women in the room are going to view you as, you know, alpha, right? Like dominant. Um, maybe they'll be jealous. Maybe they'll vie for your approval or try to be close to you or, I don't know, maybe try to tear you down. But it has a certain amount of social power. Um and also like men, power over men. You know that if you look a certain way, men are more likely to be nice to you, to be kind and gentle and safe and maybe fawn over you, um, maybe adopt a more submissive role going along with whatever they think you want because they want your attention or they want to sleep with you or whatever, um, or they want to date you. And likewise, that they might take on a more masculine and attractive role to you if you're into that kind of thing it can sort of bring out qualities in other people because you know that people respond to how you look so there's a power in that that's a little bit darker I think because under patriarchy women femmes and afab people we have less structural and systemic power in general so we learn to manipulate people to get what we want and need. We learn that we can't go after what we want and need directly, that we won't get it, people won't grant it to us, that we're not as innately deserving of respect and, you know, 
positions of power and income and all these other things as men are. So we learn that if we want to get the things we want, which of course we do, that we have to use our appearance transactionally, almost like a bribe to make people want to give it to us. That we're not just innately deserving of respect, we have to earn that respect. We have to make people respect us. We're not innately deserving of kindness. We have to make people want to be kind to us. So again, it just reinforces this personal responsibility narrative that is so damaging and it makes you feel terrified understandably that if you lost that power you would be powerless it makes you feel like I would literally be helpless in the world I would not be able to get any of my needs met I would not be able to have any of the things I want people would be horrible to me I would be powerless so in that way we're really talking about both internally and externally that beauty equals power that's real and in some ways, it, it will actually impact the way people treat you. They will give you more um, of an assumed dominance or power or social capital if you meet the ideals. Likewise, a lot of people will just say it makes them feel confident. So this is the other thing I hear a lot is like, well, I just feel more confident when I look a certain way, which is totally fine. However, we often tend to think of confidence as the positive feeling we get when we've assessed ourselves according to these, um, you know, hierarchical <laughs> ideals and decided that, yes, we are in fact close enough to those ideals right now to be considered good or acceptable or worthy of respect or maybe even superior or dominant. So <laughs> that kind of confidence is super conditional, right? It centers other people's opinions of us, not our own. It is inherently oppressive because it's based on a ranking system of good, bad, better, worse, acceptable, unacceptable, which even if you feel good in the moment, it, it's still upholding the discrimination and marginalization of people at the bottom of this social hierarchy because it is built on comparison. And for a lot of folks, this just comes down to uh, self-objectification, which basically says, I only have value if I'm attractive. Therefore, I can only feel good about myself when I believe that other people will find me attractive, when I believe I've like, you know, done my job today to be pleasant set decoration for everyone else or to be a, you know, an appealing sexual object for other people to look at. So <laughs> in that way, this confidence is not really confidence, right? It's an assessment. It's conditional. It's oppressive. It is not true confidence because true confidence is none of those things. It's not a transaction. It's not a bribe. It's not an assessment. It's not a thought at all, actually. Um, and it has to center our own view of ourselves and our, include our entire humanity. It can't be based in um, objectification or dehumanization. To me, that's not confidence. You can have a pleasant feeling that accompanies that assessment, but that's not real confidence. So real confidence is a sense of ourselves as inherently and fundamentally good, deserving, and worthy. Not by comparison to others, but in and of ourselves. It's about genuinely liking ourselves, genuinely accepting ourselves, feeling safe in the world because we trust ourselves to handle what comes our way. Not trusting other people to be fair or just or kind, but trusting ourselves to handle whatever we come across. It's also self-compassion for our weaknesses, right? Like pride in our strengths, great, yay, you can take pride however you want, but self-compassion for our weaknesses, which we all have. And, you know, things like a belief in our potential and a recognition that we just fundamentally deserve to be treated fairly, equitably, and with respect. So this combo 
for a lot of people of having a certain amount of beauty and body privilege, which they know advantages people in this world, in this society, um, and basically having a sense that their attractiveness or ability to conform to social ideals is the source of confidence. Like that's what confidence means. It makes a lot of people super freaking anxious about losing any of that privilege, about giving up or, you know, giving up might mean if you're doing something intentionally, like if you were to stop wearing makeup or losing that privilege through natural, you know, things like illness, injury, aging, whatever. It makes people feel terrified. And a lot of times, even even if they're okay with how they look now, a lot of times people in this position, their body image issues might not be so much focused on like, I hate how I look today. I mean, it totally can, but it doesn't always. Because sometimes it's more like, I'm terrified of how I'll look tomorrow. It's a lot of that future anxiety that makes them feel obsessive, preoccupied, anxious about their appearance today. So we're going to talk about that. Because it absolutely, even though it's very understandable, um, the loss of privilege does have an impact. And especially for people who are lower down on this social hierarchy to begin with, going from like fat to super fat, for example, that means like way more discrimination and violence are going to suddenly become more statistically likely for you. And whereas like going from thin to midsize, there is very likely going to be a change in how people treat you and the opportunities that you have, you know, how much kindness and positive attention you get. But there's a huge difference between that fear of more marginalization or violence versus just, you know, fearing the loss of positive attention, praise, compliments, whatever it might be. But none of this means that you're stuck with the feelings of anxiety and insecurity and unworthiness. So we're going to talk about the four things that most of this fear of losing privilege really comes down to. The first one, like I said, is a feeling of personal responsibility for other people's perceptions, feelings, opinions, and treatment of you. We could just call this shame because that's what it is. It's the feeling that you deserve negative treatment if you get it, right? Like that you're unworthy of just basic respect and humanity um, and that you are personally responsible for making other people treat you a certain way. Um, and I want to I say for this one, and this is so, so important, especially for people who are conditioned as women, is that when someone violates us or treats us poorly or with disrespect, we only have two options. The first option is to get angry at them. And that's where we would say, like, I recognize that I'm deserving of respect and you did not just respect me, therefore you are in the wrong. It's holding other people accountable when you get angry at them. The other option is to get angry at ourselves. And that's where we say, hmm, I guess something about me must be so terrible or broken or wrong or bad that I deserved that. That I don't, I don't deserve respect and how they just treated me makes sense. And this is where that anger starts to turn into shame and even depression. And I say that we only have these two options because anger is a biological evolutionary impulse that we don't have any say over. It's going to happen because anger is the signal from our bodies that an injustice has taken place or a boundary has been violated. So it's going to come up 
one way or the other. But if you don't feel comfortable or deserving of aiming outward where it belongs to hold the other person accountable for their behavior, then you are left with only one option and that is to aim it inward at yourself where it turns into shame. These are our only two options. So that personal responsibility narrative leads to so, so much self-blame, shame, self-criticism, self-loathing, depression, insecurity, just all of the bad stuff lives in that space. The next thing that it's often about, this fear of losing beauty or body privilege, is the fear of needs going unmet. And this can be, if you don't have your needs met right now, the thought of like losing privilege and having them even less met can feel very, very painful. But even if you did have all of your needs met, if you just at this point in your life felt basically like you were getting what you needed and wanted from the world, it would still be really scary if you associate your ability to have those things with your appearance and your beauty privilege because that will make it feel like if I gained weight or got, you know, started showing signs of aging or looked different or whatever, that all that stuff would go away, that it would come crumbling down. You would feel just like, again, super helpless or like you you were unsafe, deeply unsafe because you cannot get your needs met. And whether that's like literal needs in the world, like, you know, money, housing, etc., or if we're talking about emotional needs, it's all the same thing because it is terrifying to feel like you're going to lose your access to safety, social safety, actual safety, all of it. A lot of times people will say that they, um, they're they afraid of abandonment, that fundamentally when they think about what would happen if they lost their beauty privilege or gave up some of their beauty privilege, that people would abandon them. And this, again, goes back to that personal narrative of saying, like, it's my job to make everybody like me, respect me, accept me, etc. Um, and it makes it feel like it, it turns it into an everyone thing. It's a very generalized sense that because there is this very real social hierarchy situation and privilege impacts how people view you statistically and treat you and the opportunities you'll have, um, it can feel like everyone would just hate me or everyone would abandon me or everyone would be vile to me. As opposed to recognizing on a more individual case-by-case -case basis, which is how humans work, uh, that some people will like you and some people will not like you. Some people will treat you res with respect and some people will not. And that's true at any body size. There's a lot of people on this planet. And yes, the biases are real, but that does not mean that nobody will be left, right? It just means that statistically you're going to be facing different things. So there is that fear of abandonment. That's all of your emotional needs going unmet for, you know, um, secure attachment, belonging, intimacy, love, partnership. Um, yeah, all of those things can feel like I will end up with none of those if I don't look a certain way. There's also like the realistic assessment of discrimination and marginalization that you might have to face, um, as I've just said. But even though a lot of that is real, I find that when I work with clients in this space, it's a lot more exaggerated in their minds um, than it actually would be or ends up being when they put it into action in the world. So for example, like if you have been suppressing your weight for years or decades through dieting or whatever, or if you have been, you know, controlling your appearance through a ton of beauty labor for a really long time, it becomes a really exaggerated fear of what will happen if you stopped. 
And that's part of just like the way the messages of diet culture and all those kinds of things teach us to believe and think and feel. Um, it's also that we lose trust in ourselves to handle stuff. And there is a very real thing that happens when we avoid the stuff that makes us anxious. So avoiding something that you're afraid of makes that thing feel scarier. So if you've avoided something for decades, the thought of facing it now is going to feel the most terrifying as opposed to if you faced it, you know, once or twice a year your whole life, you would just feel very confident and competent in that space. You would understand that you, you know, you can trust yourself to handle it. It's not the end of the world. So the power of our fears grows the more we avoid it, which is why people with um, who are doing a lot of beauty and body labor to fit a certain ideal in some way, those are often the people who feel the most scared of losing it because it feels to them like, well, I've avoided that terrifying thing for, you know, 30 years at this point. What's going to happen? And it just builds. It's like, you know, the actual monster is like this big, but then when you're avoiding it in your own mind for so long, it's like now it's this gigantic shadow monster. Um, whereas when you actually deal with it directly and you face the thing in real life, it's often just the original sized monster, right? Um, also, this lack of control, it, it ignores things like natural set point for weight, which is like a real thing, basically, that um, our bodies have a range of where it basically normally wants to be. And that can change, but the idea that you have to control your weight in order to avoid just blowing up like a balloon is just diet culture nonsense. Um, but it, it, again, it sows fear, right? It breeds fear because if you've been, let's say, trying to control your eating portions, even if you're not fully dieting for a long time, it can feel like if you stopped putting that effort in, your weight would just explode. And a lot of that stuff is specifically taught to us by the systems who are taking advantage of our insecurities. So it also ignores things like the fact that a lot of the beauty and body labor that we do. It's like every time we solve a problem, we make a new problem. So a lot of times there's also a feeling of like, if I stopped doing, you know, my 30 step routine to look good in the morning, I would look like, you know, an absolute zombie. And at first that can be true because a lot of the things that you are doing in this routine are you know, it's like it solves a problem, it creates a problem. Now you have to solve that next problem, right? Like uh, I remember when I was a teenager and I started using toner on my skin and um, the toner dried my skin out. So I started having to use a moisturizer, but then the moisturizer made me break out. So then I had to use salicylic acid, which dried me out again. So like, you know, it's like a lot of these things, they have a sort of um, rolling stone effect, a cumulative effect on us that when you actually start dialing these things back, you're getting back to whatever you've actually got, right? Maybe you, maybe you have bad skin naturally, or maybe you have bad skin because you try to cover up your blemishes every day and your skin is responding to being like smothered in makeup. And so that's why you break out all the time. And if you were to stop wearing the makeup, maybe you would have less breakouts, right? Like these are things that we often don't think about when we imagine giving up beauty and body privilege. We imagine the worst case scenario that if we were to give these things up, we would just look like the most haggard zombie-ish version of ourselves. And a lot of times that's just an exaggeration based on any number of these factors. Also, I have to say like, we do train people's brains and eyes based on 
how we look. Like we train them what to expect when they look at us, right? So it's often really notable when we change the way we look at first because the human brain is super adaptable. But if you're like, okay, I'm going to face this fear and I'm going to stop wearing foundation at work or something – And you go and do it. And day one, you get like three comments of people being like, oh, you look tired or, oh my gosh, are you okay? You seem, you seem run down or somebody being like, wow, you look terrible or sick. Like in those moments, it reinforces all of our biggest fears. And it it makes us feel like if I were to keep doing this, my life would be a disaster. Everyone would think I look sick and horrible all the time. When actually a lot of that is just people's brains and eyes getting used to a different visual cue. So if you were to go without makeup, you know, for a month, by the end of the month, pretty much everybody would be acclimated to how your face looks and it would no longer be notable. It would no longer draw comments um, and it would no longer most likely be a thing that was getting like sort of put on your mental plate. Whereas day one, it's going to get put on your mental plate and it's going to really reinforce the idea like this is not okay. This is a disaster. Um, The third thing that fear of losing beauty privilege is about is a lack of skills, a feeling of, you know, basically, I know how to advocate for myself. I know how to set boundaries. I know how to hold people accountable when they disrespect me. I know how to tap into and express my anger in a way that feels safe. I know how to tolerate uncomfortable feelings. Like there's a lot of skills that without you're kind of at the mercy of whatever the hell happens to you and however the hell people treat you like you don't have the skills to impact your life directly because you're used to or you learned to do it indirectly by just meeting people's ideals conforming to the standards trying to give people what they like and just hoping it works out so this kind of manipulative um, transactional view of beauty labor it often leaves us with the least skills for handling life directly. And again, anger is going to happen, right? Like if somebody disrespects you, if somebody comments inappropriately on your appearance and you don't have the skills to deal with that directly, to speak up, to hold them accountable, to get angry at them, that anger is going to happen. It's just going to go inward. It's going to turn into shame. It's going to be you blaming yourself. So, What happens a lot, I think, for people who sort of grow up meeting, checking a certain amount of boxes of conventional beauty ideals is that they never need to learn these skills. And so they end up completely without them. And then let's say later in adulthood, they're like, okay, well, uh, you know, I'd I'd like to stop dieting. I want to find body neutrality or I I don't want to, you know, maybe I want to express myself in a more androgynous way or, you know, whatever it might be. It feels like, but if I were to do that, I'm like a helpless baby and I would just be stuck with whatever the heck people give me. And that is because they don't have those skills. Whereas if you grew up totally not conventionally attractive and maybe under certain circumstances where these skills were encouraged, which for a lot of women anyway, they're definitely not, um, then you would probably not find it so scary, right? It would just be like, yeah, well, that would suck, but I know how to handle that. Um, And then the last one is just a general fear of discomfort or an intolerance for feeling uncomfortable or unpleasant feelings. And in this one, I'm also going to say it's kind of like a rejection of reality or a resistance to reality because uncomfortable and unpleasant feelings are a part of our reality. But again, this is often not a skill that we learned to deal with, 
to safely and healthfully or skillfully process, manage, metabolize, um, and, and even just feel and tolerate our own emotions, especially when they're uncomfortable. That is often not what we're taught. So our, again, our only real recourse is to avoid any situation that might make us feel them. That's it. And that's a lot of what beauty privilege offers. It offers like an escape hatch. It's like, well, since you don't have these skills, since you are not tolerant of feeling uncomfortable or unpleasant feelings, you must do everything in your power to avoid anything that would ever bring them up. That's the situation we end up in. Which, again, by being in that situation for a really long time is going to make the thought of actually having to feel those emotions, um, deal with them, whatever, to feel utterly life-threatening and terrifying because it grows in power the more you avoid it. Um, so, yeah. A loss of privilege means people are going to be a lot more likely to reveal their true colors. So there is discomfort in that. There's discomfort in finding out that someone you thought was pretty respectful or nice is actually a jerk. That like a business that you thought was inclusive actually isn't. Um, you know, whatever it is, it's uncomfortable to find this stuff out. And it might require you to make changes to your relationships, your communities, whatever it is. That's uncomfortable. That's unpleasant. If you don't know how to be uncomfortable and deal with unpleasant stuff... You're going to have to avoid it forever and you are stuck on the bandwagon of just doing all the beauty and body labor for the rest of your life in order to avoid anyone ever revealing their true colors to you. Um, likewise, it pulls back the curtain on the system of oppression that is beauty privilege, right? It It's very revealing and depressing to realize that a lot of the respect and kindness and positive attention that you got were actually objectification and very superficial and conditional or transactional and people really don't actually value you because that was fake. That's a super uncomfortable thing to have to face. And this new reality, facing it, dealing with it, recognizing it is likely to make you really angry or really, really sad. And both grief and anger are uncomfortable. So again, if you don't have the skill to deal with that, that's going to be something terrifying. Um, and also just negative attention in general is unpleasant. It's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. It sucks. Even if you don't agree with what the person is saying, even if you fully understand that it's based on a bigoted lie that you do not buy into, it still sucks. This is why you can see little kids like who insult each other with absolute nonsense words still hurting each other's feelings. Because if your sibling turns to you and says like, you're a boo-boo head, even if you don't know what that is and you're pretty sure that's not a real thing, you can tell he wanted to hurt you, right? Like you can tell in that moment that there was negative attention being blasted in your direction and it still hurts. So it's unpleasant. It's uncomfortable. If you don't feel like you have the skill or capacity to feel unpleasant and uncomfortable emotions, you're stuck. Your only choice is to avoid it, to do everything you can to conform to what people want you to be so that they don't aim that negative energy at you. So with all this said, is it true that giving up beauty and body privilege by letting go of the control or the labor or whatever, is it true that it's going to have an impact on you? Yeah. Probably. And some of that is going to be unpleasant and uncomfortable. That's fair. I get why you don't want to do it. I get why everyone does want to do it. I'm not even here to tell you to do it. I just want us to explore this. Because I think the thing that a lot of people miss is that there are positives to it as well. 
a lot of them. They're like really powerful positives, but nobody thinks about it that way. Everybody focuses on the negatives. Nobody is ever talking about the benefits. So let's talk about the benefits of not being attractive. Like that's not even necessarily what I mean, right? But like losing privilege that you've gained through labor specifically because again how you look is how you look right like your face is your face whatever but by letting go of some of the control habits or the labor that goes into presenting yourself in the most optimized way to conform to the ideals um, there is a lot of power in that there are a lot of benefits the first one is that it's a vetting system it forces people to show their true colors which although I just acknowledge can be super unpleasant when those colors suck. Um, it also gives you the opportunity to be way more selective and discriminating in terms of who you spend time with and who you spend energy on and who you fill your life with, right? Like it weeds out the people who don't actually respect you or are kind of jerks or just want to objectify or exploit you or be close to you because you have social status. Like it weeds those people out way quicker, which is great. And it increases the quality of the relationships that you actually end up having because those relationships are built on genuine respect. They're built on your authentic self, not the curated self. So it feels much more meaningful. They go deeper. They are built on your humanity, your full humanity, not just how you look. So those relationships are going to be so much more nourishing and juicy and wonderful and restorative and supportive. Like those are going to improve your life a million times over. And if you didn't have this vetting system because you were doing everything in your power to, you know, meet conventional beauty ideals all the time, you're not going to know who to leave in and out, right? You're a lot more likely to end up spending time on or being invested in relationships with people who don't actually fundamentally respect you as a full human. It's also an invitation. The loss of beauty privilege is an invitation to cultivate the skills I named above, like self-advocacy, building uh, the ability to get angry, to tolerate and express your anger, to feel uncomfortable feelings like grief and other unpleasantness, <laughs> to hold people accountable, to set boundaries, all these things. It's an invitation to cultivate those skills. So it doesn't automatically get you those skills, but it's an invitation and by cultivating those skills it will make you feel way more empowered and safe and confident and free in the world tapped into your own agency you'll have more self-trust and you're just going to feel way better as a human all the time if you have those skills so there is also that element it's an invitation it's also an invitation to shift your personal responsibility narrative to challenge this idea that you are responsible for how other people treat you because it pulls back the curtain and it shows people's, you know, bigotry and bias and nasty superficial nonsense, it reveals that stuff which invites you to challenge the idea that you and you are alone are responsible for how other people treat you. It shines a light on the fact that <laughs> these systems of oppression are real and they suck and everybody's bought into them. It's like seriously, uh, you know, it's... It's like the you pull back the curtain in The Wizard of Oz, right? You're like, oh, you're just a dude. Uh, okay, well, then I don't want to do this whole thing anymore, right? Like it, it, it offers you a pathway out of that personal narrative because it starts to give you different information. It's also an invitation to acknowledge and re accept reality. 
And again, it is very unpleasant to have a fantasy bubble burst. It's uncomfortable to realize, uh, actually, no matter how hot I am, people are not really treating me with full respect for my humanity. Like that's not how that, that's never going to happen. There's no level of attractiveness that I can achieve that will make people see me as fundamentally worthy of respect outside of my appearance, right? Like that it, you never get to the end goal that we've been promised. So being able to see that and recognize that, it allows you to accept reality. It, it stops the wild goose chase. It takes away so much of the anxiety we feel about trying to, you know, finally be worthy of the things we want because uh, it, it reveals that the strategy doesn't work. That's not how it works. And that gives you an end to building those things more directly, to going after the things you want and need more directly, to being much more intentional about how you move through the world and what you value and, you know, tapping into like the stuff that matters to you because you no longer are operating within the fantasy that if only you could just make yourself be perfect, all that stuff would just happen, right? We have this fantasy that like conventional attractiveness is a shortcut. It'll just make the things we want be manifested. It'll make a wonderful partner show up and the partnership will be easy and loving and secure and we'll get all of our needs met and they'll never abandon us or, you know, cheat on us or break our hearts because we'll be so hot that they wouldn't dare. It's a fantasy. And by acknowledging that that was a fantasy, we are also empowered to start building the life we actually want that would actually feel meaningful and satisfying to us. It would actually make us happy. Also, one of the benefits is just way less anxiety. Because like I said, avoidance of the things that scares us, it breeds anxiety and fear. It makes that fear way more powerful in our minds. So facing your fears regularly, it just reduces the overall levels of fear and anxiety that you live with day to day. So if you want to feel less anxious, I highly recommend doing all the shit that scares you, including giving up a lot of the beauty, labor, and control stuff. Um, and an example of this would just be like, if you've always dyed your hair, then letting yourself go gray, you know, it might feel terrifying. Uh, but once you go gray, then boom, there's that whole scary shadow monster taken off your plate. Cause now you're like, oh, well, okay. The, it's just like this. I can live with that. Um, and likewise, if you've always dieted, then like moving toward intuitive eating might be terrifying. But once you get there, I mean, it's a long process, but once you're in that experience more and you're able to be like, oh, well, if it's just like this, I can handle that. It just builds self-trust. It builds a feeling that you are competent and able. And honestly, it's also great because it builds a sense of identity and worth around courage because you're like, well, at least I'm brave, <laughs> even if things don't go the way I want. So it's so empowering. It builds confidence and it reduces anxiety that way as well. It also, I would say challenges, because it doesn't force you to do this. There are plenty of people who live in bodies that are not conventionally attractive that they feel like shit about, and uh, they have not done this step yet. But I do believe that the loss of privilege, especially when you've taken it um, sort of intentionally, like you've made the choice to give up certain behaviors that lead to it, um, but also when it just happens, because it does just happen. I mean, if, if we 
keep living. Like we're all, all going to lose privilege <laughs> because uh, it is not considered conventionally attractive to be old or gain weight or, you know, develop a disability, illness, injury, right? Like all these things. We are constantly moving toward a loss of privilege. That is just the way things are. So um, I believe that these, these losses... They challenge us to restructure our identity and our sense of self-worth outside of the system of social hierarchies and comparison and external validation and approval. And when we do that, we feel so much more confident in who we are, so much more less, uh, so much less anxious, so much more grounded, so much more resilient, so much more trusting of ourselves, so much more approving of ourselves, basically everything you want. <laughs> that you're hoping looking good enough is going to get you, which it can't. It's on the other side of building, cultivating a sense of identity and self-worth that comes from within and is outside of privilege or status. And when you show up looking like yourself, whatever that means, when you show up without hiding, forcing, controlling, laboring, whatever, to present a particular way, the shame and fear of people finding out how you actually look, it just goes away, it disappears. I mean, again, at first it might be jarring and uncomfortable, but eventually it goes away. They get used to it, you get used to it. So it, in that way, I think of it as like preemptive shame busting. And I, I talk to clients about this a lot around dating. Like everybody wants to put their most attractive photos on a dating app, right? So that they get the best matches. But what happens then is if they put their most like conventionally attractive photos on the app, then they're terrified for their first date or they're terrified the first time they take their clothes off or whatever. If like the photos were representative of maybe a time before they gained some weight or a younger time or just like a time where they had gotten really done up or whatever, um, they become terrified of the person seeing them and rejecting them for how they really look. And the fastest way to get rid of this fear is to post pictures of how you really look. So that on date one, you already know you this person, that they've passed the vetting system, right? Like you didn't trick them. You didn't manipulate them into thinking you look, quote unquote, better than you do. You just showed them how you look and they said, mm, I'm interested in that. Which means you get to be present on that first date or the first time you take your clothes off. You get to be in the moment instead of worrying about what they're thinking or are they rejecting you or are they regretting this or are they thinking like judging you for, you know, whatever. Like all that stuff goes away. This is preemptive shame busting and fear busting you're facing whatever it keeps you from feeling like you have something to hide or like you have a secret or like you tricked people it allows you to really take in what's happening and be present and then the last thing I would say about this is just like transitions are uncomfortable I don't know they're weird it's weird to look different so uh, just be aware that uh, all transitions in your appearance as well as probably every other area of your life they're going to take some time to get used to and it's normal for that to feel uncomfortable at first so again recognizing that the first time you do something scary, you face the fear, right? You wear an outfit that isn't quote unquote flattering for your body type because you were you learned you had to wear all black or something or you learned you had to wear tight clothes or baggy clothes or whatever to flatter your body. The first time you break that rule, you're probably going to be really uncomfortable and you're going to look in the mirror and think, I look weird. And your brain is going to just scream and be like, ah, new things. I don't like it. And that's okay. That's part of the process. But down the line, it will 
acclimate, right? You will get used to it. If you've gained weight, you'll get used to yourself in your bigger body. If you've lost weight, you'll get used to yourself in your smaller body. If you're dressing differently, if you're giving up makeup or, or beauty treatments, or you buzz your hair, like all of these things will just be weird at first. And weird is uncomfortable to our brains. Transitions like that new is just like, alert, alert, new thing. Ah! And that goes away with time. So you can acclimate. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily a benefit of doing it, but I do think that by recognizing that, by trying it in a couple of areas and recognizing, oh yeah, I did actually get used to that one, it just empowers you to feel like, hmm, maybe this monster I've been avoiding my whole life actually isn't so bad, right? It's empowering. It reduces anxiety. It reduces the feeling of obligation. Like if I don't conform to all of these things forever, something horrible and catastrophic is going to happen because you realize a lot of that stuff is based on those first moments where your brain is like ringing all its alarm bells just to say something new, ah, um, but when you recognize after a couple of tries at this, if you have examples that you can try, you'll learn, okay, well, that is something that I can get used to. Therefore, that monster is not quite as scary now. It just feels way safer, way more confident. So all of this is to say, is it possible to feel confident, worthy, and empowered with less or none of beauty body privilege? Hell yes. And in my opinion, I think that letting go of privilege which again, I'm, I'm referring here to the labor that you put in to present yourself in such a way that you are gaining extra privilege, not just for how you look, you look how you look. But letting go of beauty privilege actually makes it a lot easier to feel the things that you want to feel, like confident, worthy, empowered, grounded, present, not anxious, um, in a way that's actually resilient and authentic and real. It's not fleeting, it's not conditional, it's real. So that is my answer to people who are like, um, how is this possible? I don't think I could tolerate feeling worse about myself than I do now. Therefore, there's no way I can give up any of these habits. Um, yeah, it's a process. It's a process. This is not an overnight fix. But I absolutely have seen in myself and in so many of my clients that intentionally giving up some of the labor that we put into earn beauty privilege is some of the most empowering, healing, and confidence-boosting work that you can do. The first time, for example, um, that I, well, I had cut my hair a bunch of times, and I always noticed there were differences in how people treated me when I had really short hair versus long, um, because long hair for women is like very much a part of the femme ideal. It's very much part of what we learn men find attractive, and people treated me differently. But the first time that I shaved my head, I was shooketh. I was shocked um, by how differently I was treated. And that's an example of like, I did not face any marginalization. Nothing bad happened. I had so much privilege at that point that there was really no, um, no threat of any kind of like oppression or violence. It just simply was remarkable to me that people were viewing me as a different kind of person. They were making different assumptions about me. They were treating me differently. Um, it was really wild. And so recognizing, I think, that you can exist in any state that way, like just playing around with that kind of experience, it's so empowering because you learn who you are outside of how people have treated you your whole life. Challenging it, playing with it, making different decisions, and just seeing how they feel, it is all 
an invitation to get to know your real self and build a sense of identity and self-worth outside of people's treatment of you. It is powerful medicine. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. <laughs> I'm not telling you what to do, to be clear, but I do, I, I feel like this is a very misunderstood topic. Um, now, I believe in complete bodily autonomy, and I believe that all behaviors and choices are morally neutral, which means you get to decide what you do, full stop, and there are no body neutral behaviors or habits or decisions. There is only, you know, making a decision from an empowered place in which you have consciously decided to engage in something, and you know what the pros and cons are or whatever, because, you know, that's valid, versus... You make those decisions from a place of feeling unworthy, insecure, anxious, like you don't deserve good things unless you do this thing, like you're obligated to do this thing, like you owe it to people to do this thing, um, or from a place of terror. So like, to me, the body neutrality lives internally, right? It's not what you end up doing, because you could totally get like a facelift and hair transplants and a boob job and liposuction. You could do all the things if you, let's say you worked in an industry where how you looked meant you know, different opportunities were going to um, be very closed or very opened. Or you were living in a marginalized body and you realized like, oh my God, this is threatening me on a level that I, I do not want to deal with. Like those are super valid options as long as you're making them from this place of understanding that you're playing the system. You're playing the system. You recognize what the system is up to and you're like, okay, I'll do that. I'll play that game. I'll, I'll win more at this game. Um, but not because that makes me more worthy of the things that I'm going to get, but because I recognize that the reality is that it will get me those things. And that's a, worth, um, a cost worth taking for me. That's super valid. That's totally legit and no judgment ever from me anyway. Um, you can engage in whatever labor you want make whatever decisions you want. But it is, I think, really, really important to get curious about the true purpose of your habits and behaviors around um, beauty labor and sort of the, the intentional controlling of your appearance or presentation in order to earn status, cap social capital, social um, privileges, etc. And be curious about it and explore like, how is this working? What's the impact this is having on you? What is it that you really want? And is this going to get you closer to having it? Or not, in which case there's a lot to play with. <laughs> um, also, I just want to say, like, <laughs> it's okay if you genuinely enjoy beauty labor. There are people who just genuinely enjoy it, right? Like, I know when I used to do my um, manicures and pedicures and stuff, I used to just love getting them done. When I lived in New York, it was very accessible, very affordable. And I just, this was before all the gel and stuff. Um, I think it's more more complicated now but I just loved being there for like half an hour and having someone kind of touch and care for me so there's nothing wrong with enjoying it and doing it for yourself and I don't want people listening to this to be like Jesse says it's bad it's not bad you do you my friend however I know a lot of my clients have this question a lot of people struggle with this fear and it's worth exploring and it's worth unpacking the fact that we have been taught that by not doing everything in our power to be as attractive as possible all the time um, like the world will end, you know, that there'll be these horrible negative consequences that we will end up abandoned and alone. And, um, you know, a lot of that stuff is 
not nearly as big or threatening as it's made out to be. But talking about that it that way also just completely erases all of the benefits and possibilities for giving it up. So um, also, last thing, the more of us who do practice and explore giving up intentionally um, controlling our appearance to be as attractive as possible, the more of us with beauty and body privilege naturally who do this work, meaning those of us who are not likely to be facing um, violence or real threats to our safety by doing this, the better and safer the world gets for everybody. So I also feel like this work is never on people in marginalized bodies, um, but it is on us, the folks with a lot of like genetic privilege who won't be facing the same kind of consequences that folks in marginalized bodies would be facing if they did the same exact thing. A person in a marginalized body who stops wearing makeup may end up genuinely losing um, the income or opportunities that they need to survive or thrive, right? Whereas if you do it, I don't know, if you have a certain amount of beauty and body privilege, maybe people just say you look tired that day and or men hit on you less, you know? So recognizing where we are in the hierarchy, I think is really important as well. And recognizing that even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's scary, the more of us who do it in a way that challenges people's perceptions, breaks the rules, challenges the norms, et cetera, um, without putting our bodies on the line because we still have a certain amount of genetic privilege, the more we can change the system and make it safer for everyone, especially those in marginalized bodies who really, really need us to step in and make the world safer. So that's my little pitch for that as well. Um, okay, so if you have listened to this whole episode, thank you so much for being here. And if you want to learn more about how to do this process to face these fears, do the shame busting, give up the beauty and body privilege that you have, whether that's literally beauty labor that we're talking about, or you're talking about like going through an intuitive eating process and gaining weight, or changes that have happened to your body for reasons beyond your control, like illness or disability, any of these things that you want support around, you want to feel more confident, more empowered, more good about yourself, more safe and free with less beauty and body privilege, I have a program for you. It is called Project Ugly. It is an eight-week live online group coaching program with content delivered to your inbox every week to the syllabus and um, live community calls for everyone to get together. And you can learn more about it at jessineelan.com forward slash project ugly. And I'll include the link in the show notes as well. It is exactly, uh, I created it to speak into this question, right? It is designed to help you understand that there are benefits and there is so much power in breaking the rules that we learned are our only way of feeling good about ourselves, having confidence, feeling safe, feeling worthy. It's a lie, and I'll show you how, I promise, if you join Project Ugly. Um, we start in a couple of weeks, so uh, live enrollment is open now, and um, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me at my website, jessineelan.com, um, my contact page, or you can DM me on Instagram, and I would love to see you there because the more of us doing this, the better, 
And uh, yeah, that's everything. So thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, you can leave a review. Or if you're watching this on <laughs> YouTube, you can like and subscribe and leave a comment um, because those are all really helpful to get more eyeballs and earballs, uh, ears <laughs> listening to the podcast. So that would be awesome. And thank you so much for being here. And I will catch you next week. <laughs>